Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian and a longtime EAP member and your host. Beringer Ingelheim's equine health solutions don't just come in the form of medicine. From our vaccine and EGUS assurance programs to our equine practice enrichment program, we offer a wide range of services dedicated to helping individual veterinarians and entire practices succeed in their business environment. To learn more about all the services we offer, contact one of our expert team members by visiting bi-vetmedica.com company contact. Hi, I'm Mike Connell, and welcome to AEP Practice Life, the podcast for members talking about equine practice outside of veterinary medicine, I guess. And so we've started a tradition every February. We meet with the head honchos of the AEP. Uh, and it's a great way for us to understand what the AEP is doing, what they're doing for members, maybe a recap of the convention of the previous year and to sort of forecast what's going on in the coming year. As always, I'm uh, proud to and, and always honored to introduce, uh, I'll start with uh, Dave Foley, Executive Director. We also have uh, Dr. Emma Reed. Emma is the president of the AAP and Dr. Rob Franklin. Rob is the president-elect. Welcome all. Hi. Thank you. So Emma, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're on last year as the president-elect and uh, some people listen, but a lot of people probably aren't. So tell us about yourself. Sure. So I'm uh, really honored to be the president this year. And uh, in my day job, I'm the associate dean for professional programs at the Ohio State University. And really what that means is that I work with veterinary students overseeing their program, uh, managing the curriculum and everything that goes along with that. And uh, when I'm not at work, I, uh, I'm married to a veterinary anesthesiologist. Uh, who practices primarily on small animals these days, and I have two teenage daughters. Excellent. Thanks. Rob, tell us about yourself. Thanks for having me, Mike. Rob Franklin, I'm a uh, Texas A&M uh, veterinary graduate and uh, University of Florida residency trained uh, internal medicine clinician, and, and currently I have a key point practice in Fredericksburg, Texas, the, uh, the heart of the hill country of uh, the Texas hill country. Great honor being a part of the AP for my entire career, but uh, then then having the opportunity to come on the the executive committee and, and lead the organization is is really something that I'm looking forward to, and it's been a great challenge already. And we're facing some big challenges that I know you're going to put your teeth into in this podcast. But uh, it, it's a pretty exciting time to be part of the solution, but but we do have some big problems ahead of us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we will be digging into those. And David Foley, uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, yeah, David Foley. I have spent most of my professional life with this organization. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky native. Uh, went to the University of Kentucky, Bachelor of Science in Agricultural Economics. Began working for the AP back in the late 80s as the convention manager is kind of where I started with this organization and really have, have kind of grown up. Uh, in this association, doing various jobs along the way uh, as the staff grew and my responsibilities grew and then was named executive director in 2000 and privileged uh, and honored to still be a part of it. Yeah. You have been the guiding light over the years, so great to have you again. 
So first question I have for Emma and Rob, and uh, I've volunteered quite a bit in the past for the AP. Here you are, president, president-elect. President-elect, you're responsible for organizing the convention in the coming year. Sounds like you both have very busy professional lives. Why do you volunteer so much? Like, this is not just something you do every once in a while. You're almost like you have your professional career and your roles at the AP. So Emma, tell us about why you do this. Well, like Rob was saying, I've been involved in AEP for a long time since I was a student. First year student is when I joined AEP and I've been a member ever since. And uh, really, it's about the the people. We just have great people, great members in AEP and just the opportunity to work with them and work on all the different initiatives. I've worked on so many different task forces and committees over time. And uh, for me, obviously, students, young people, new graduates, that's really what's near and dear to my heart. And a lot of the committee work that I've done has been involved in doing that, working on education programming, working on initiatives for students, uh, being on task force for students, looking at internship program, helping set up avenues, things like that. So that for me has been a big part of it. But year after year, one of the things I really enjoy is hanging out at convention, getting to see everybody I know, all the friends that I have in this organization. We just have fantastic people and that's really what keeps me coming back all the time. And I will put a plug in for the staff too. I think this organization has amazing staff and the staff support that we get and the camaraderie that the members end up having with the staff, man, that just is the icing on the cake because a lot of other organizations I've worked with, we just don't have that kind of commitment and friendship from the staff. And it makes a big difference at AEP. And I really think that's what makes this whole thing sing. Yeah, I would echo that. I'm sorry to interrupt, Rob, but I just, I know my dealings with stuff is the staff is exceptional. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, Rob, again, you've got a busy practice. I know you do a lot of charitable work. Why do you spend so much time involved with the AP? You know, I think you or like many of us, Mike, because I, I recognize the amount of volunteering that you've done as you and I have kind of come up uh, in different committees uh, together and, and just uh, I'm always seeing your hand at work in this organization. I just think there's there's people that find a lot of purpose in, in giving back. And uh, that was taught to me, perhaps bred into me a uh, long time ago is that uh, for anything to be meaningful, you've got to be uh, giving back. You know, no matter how much time you have, if you only have a little time, if you can still give some time, you're going to feel better about yourself and you're going to make the world a better place. And the same goes with your resources, whether that be financial or, or otherwise. But having that that generous mentality really is a way to have a lot of peace in your life. And, and I'm certainly one that has experienced the benefit of of being a veterinarian and an equine veterinarian at that and having amazing personal contacts, having a very enriched life by being able to work with the horse, having that profession put in front of me on the, you know, that came off the backs of, of many people who came before me. So it's, it's my time to get back and to serve that profession that's, that's already served me so well. You know, I, I always want to ask this question because the group of volunteers year after year, it's, it is incredible at the AP. And I just always want to bring this up because I just always want to encourage other people to volunteer at the AP because 
it gives back far more than you give. And so that's just a plug of helping out there. So before we jump into 2022, Emma, you were the program chair for the 2021 convention. So I'd like to get a sense from yourself and David about how that 2021 convention went in Nashville. Well, I I can say that we were ecstatic uh, to be back in person again. Of course, we had a, a, a really tremendous response from the membership to Nashville and to the program that Dr. Reed and the Educational Programs Committee put together. It was just phenomenal. And and the other thing that we learned, of course, is we also created a, a virtual convention because, you you know, you have to do both these days. We had about 4,000 people uh, in Nashville, um, which was a little bit less than a normal convention. But then when you factor in the 770 or so virtual participants, it made it almost uh, the same number. And so, you know, that's something we're we're learning still, of course, as we go through this pandemic and and through the virtual learning. So I think that's something that we'll continue to do. But it was sure great to see everybody after after being off for a year. And Nashville was a, was a great location for us. And so uh, I think it was a, a, a huge success, at least from our standpoint. And Emma, tell us about the educational program. You were balancing yeah, the in-person and the virtual. And it must have been a, a bit of a challenge this year, trying to get everybody there and scheduled. I would say that the Educational Programs Committee did a marvelous job of uh, putting the program together and really balancing that off. And hats off to uh, Charlie Scoggin and to Aaron Contino for leading that committee and working so hard on everything. One of the challenges that we had was that there was less submissions for some of the talks this year. I think people just you know, in the weight of the pandemic, you're not exactly focusing on all of your research or you're not exactly spending the time to write up a, a paper and submit it into the AP. But the submissions we had were amazing, really high quality. And they did a great job of working with the program chairs and picking out the ones that really mattered. And we had a great program. The other thing that was really good is we had the opportunity to highlight the retention issues that are going on in the profession. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about those, or I suspect that we will, but just the opportunity to really highlight that. And we had some fabulous panel discussions that really shared some of the pain points that are happening out in practice and uh, allowed everybody to uh, to just really see what's going on and hear different perspectives and uh, and challenges that are happening. I don't know if it's because we hadn't been in person for so long, but that in-person connection of sitting in a room and listening to people talk on a panel and really hearing other people's perspective. I don't know whether it was the topic or the fact that we've been so starved from sort of seeing each other, but it seemed like really people really embraced that opportunity to sit and just listen to someone else and hear what's going on in their life. So Emma, that's that's quite an ambitious and well-needed project with the, the retention committee. So that's exciting. Rob, tell us about um, the foundation committee. I know that's a huge initiative of the AEP. So let's tell us about that. Yeah, it was pretty exciting over the uh, convention in Nashville just to see the, you know, the rebranding of the AEP foundation into the foundation for the horse and how there's been this, this quiet phase of this campaign that we've been in for the past couple of years and where we're raising a ton of interest and money for the foundation which will be um, going to support equine research, uh, welfare, 
and also um, educational debt for uh, our members. And in this this campaign has has sort of changed the the whole paradigm of the foundation where it was once you know our foundation our chance to give back to the horse uh, as practitioners. But now we're we're making this more inclusive of a wider population of, of people, basically anyone who's a horse enthusiast. So this makes it more a foundation for our clients uh, and, and people that are in the industry to uh, get behind us and, and let's our foundation can steward that giving. But uh, yeah, we, we've got, uh, what is it now, David, over $7 million? That yeah, close to, close to $8 million in the, uh, towards a $10 million campaign by the end of the year. We're taking this to a whole nother level and that will uh, really impact you know obviously the welfare stuff we do is is great i'm i'm involved in the equitarian projects uh i think that's going to be fantastic the educational debt we've talked about and how that's going to be beneficial but you know the amount of specific equine research that we can get done through this foundation i think is just going to be a real game changer for the ability to care for the horse well good luck getting to the 10 million that's exciting and, and David, there's so much else I'm sure the AT is doing. So maybe you can just give us a, just a quick rundown of what else is going on. Sure. You have one busy organization. We do. And it's, uh, you know, while the retention issue has been kind of forefront this year, of course, w- the education has always been a mainstay of the association and, and that convention of ours. And, and so we're always looking at ways to improve and innovate with our education and through the convention. And so that continues on. Uh, we've increased, of course, the number of virtual offerings this we had this year, as we did last year, opportunities to learn. So that's a, a big piece of, of what we do, what we've always done, continuing education. And it has always been a component of every AAEP strategic plan. And then obviously the work of our committees, the Performance Horse Committee and the Infectious Disease Committee and the, the guidelines that, that that group just churns out. Uh, racing committees about to do strategic planning as well. So we have a lot of very active and engaged committees that continue uh, with their work too that, that are supported. So uh, it's a lot of stuff. Well, exciting stuff. So, Rob, you're the program chair for the 2022 convention. So perhaps you can inform us of what, what the convention, what you have planned, but also some of the other educational offerings coming from the AP this year. Yeah, you bet, Mike. The first thing that we have coming is uh, in February is a new practitioner conference. So this is an attempt for us to to be able to really provide some some meaningful topical uh, education of people with some basic skills just to try to bridge that gap on some of the skills that are maybe missed during during vet school or uh, internship or first year associate position. So that's going to be completed here. I think uh, David said that there's uh, that's been sold out with a wait list. So that speaks to the uh, level of interest and we'll be having, you know, more and more of those sorts of, uh, continuing education, either events or just educational uh, opportunities for for the newer practitioner. So that's great. We've got a kind of the summer meeting has been moved back into the spring. So May 2nd and 3rd in Lexington will be a sport horse pre-purchase exam uh, meeting that uh, will be, it should be very well attended, but it, the, the speakers are first class. It's going to be a uh, just the who's who of, of sport horse medicine going through the pre-purchase exam there. Uh, then we've also got some virtual roundtables that are taking place from the spring into the fall. And those are something that we, we started last year. They had a lot of uptake and it's 
kind of that same uh, table topic sort of experience that you might get at the AP on a uh, virtual platform that people can attend from home or, or on the road. So that'll be sprinkled in over the spring, summer, and fall. And then the uh, the convention is in San Antonio, so just down the road from me. And it, it's one of those conventions that's occurring just before Thanksgiving this year. So I think the 18th to the 22nd of November. And the scientific committee, our educational program committee, is will be reviewing abstracts that are, are submitted here, and we'll be making those selections in April for for that. But the invited sessions have they look very good. We've already got those speakers identified. We've got uh, a great keynote speaker. You know, we we do these membership surveys. People, you know, curious what people want to hear about, and, and just every year, people are wanting to some help with establishing boundaries in their lives and in their professions. And so, uh, we've got the the author of probably the the most well read, well known book about boundaries that's going to be uh, presenting as our keynote speaker. So that should be pretty topical for our members as well. Excellent. Uh, that's sounds really exciting. And San Antonio is always a really popular location for the convention. So it should be fun. So one of the questions, and we'll sort of change this around a bit, is always, you know, what is the AP focusing on this year? And in preparation for this podcast, I post the, to the AP members Facebook group that I will be talking to the three of you. And people have questions or want some feedback on. And it seems like most of what people came back with are what you're focusing on this year. So I thought we should maybe go through the questions and then if there's anything that we have missed, uh, we can maybe spend some time talking about it. Great feedback. It was actually still going on today before we're recording, but great seeing the engagement. So first question is, what can we expect from the AP regarding setting forth standards and guidelines for internships? Will there be a way for interns to report violations or workplace abuse anonymously without fear of retribution? And how will the AEP enforce these standards? So maybe, David, you want to jump in and grab this one? Sure, glad to. We just formed a task force on internships as part of our strategic plan. Well, first, let me back up and just say that really our body of work this year is focused on our strategic plan like it is really every year. And we look at aspects of that plan to concentrate on in a given calendar year. Retention, of course, is a huge issue and was, you know, a theme that everybody heard throughout the conference in Nashville. And so as part of that, we spent a year-long process last year gathering data from different cohorts of members, from students to new graduates to practice owners, trying to ascertain pain points and then develop strategies to address those things. And one of the things that came out of that was concern over the, the whole internship process and the internship system, if you will. And so the board recently formed a task force on internships to do that very thing. And it's, you know, the first question that they want to ask is, what is the AAP's role in the internship process? What can we do to improve that situation? And, and it'll be probably a, just a deconstruction of the current avenues program and then building it back to hopefully to be better suited to interns and to practices. And so they'll be looking at everything. They'll be looking at a review system. They'll be looking at a proposed curriculum, work schedules, selection process, offer dates, enforcement, all of those pieces that were mentioned 
uh, on the member Facebook page are part of the charge of this task force, which is just getting started. It's going to be uh, great, but it sounds like it's going to be a lot of work. How long do you think the task force will take to give their recommendations to you? That's a good question. I mean, we've we've just compiled the group, actually, and, and are trying to schedule their first kind of kickoff Zoom call. And so we've got about 12 individuals that have volunteered to participate in this. And so the association is, you know, intends to, to put forth plenty of resources this year to make some of these groups go. Uh, and if that means bringing them in and having meetings in Lexington or wherever to develop these recommendations, it's also looking outside of the profession at other models. You know, how do engineers, how do attorneys, how do they handle internships? And are there lessons learned from other professions that we can look at? It's really a 360 degree approach to the internship issue because we that, that came up a lot in our data gathering as a problem area. Great. Thanks. I'm going to go with you next, just with your role at The Ohio State University. And, you know, a couple of the questions, I'm going to combine them. So one of them is, I'd like to hear more about their insights after the findings from the retention task force. How can we best engage veterinary students with equine interest? And another question was, I've been hearing that within different vet schools, that students are being discouraged from going into equine medicine. How can we make sure this stops in the vet schools and increase fostering interest an equine med from the school level. I can just say personally, I remember when I was in vet school and I was a mature student that I had several professors come to me and say, why are you going into equine practice? And I just sort of looked at them and like, what else am I going to do? Look at me. But I actually went after one of them quite aggressively. I was like, "How you don't know anything about the industry. You've been in this role and pathologist for several years. And I would just be careful what you're saying to students because you're not that involved with it. And so when I saw this uh, response to my question, I was disappointed that, oh man, 20 odd years later, this is still going on. So Emma, uh, perhaps you can shed some light on this. Sure, happy to. I hear that a lot (laughs) about faculty members are discouraging and turning students off. And uh, I will say this, in my career, I've been a private practitioner, worked in private practice for a number of years. And then also I've been a faculty member for a number of years, and now I'm an administrator. So I've kind of seen it from all different corners. And I will say that I really think it's time in the profession that we stop finger pointing. And all of us are pointing at other people, but we're really not asking ourselves what we can do in our corner to fix the problem. And the other thing that's been going on for a really long time is that we keep talking about students saying, We need to get better students. You know, we need to find better students. They need to be more resilient. We need to prepare them better. We need to do a better job of getting them ready to go out into the profession and work really hard. We need to tell them what the realities are so that they can just suck it up and deal with it. So for a long time, we've been focusing on the students. How are we going to make them better? How are we going to make them fit our mold? And the one thing that we never really have a conversation about is us. How are we going to fix us? Because if we can take the best and the brightest students and we can stick them out there in a broken practice model, and they're not going to stay. And so it doesn't matter if we're telling them it's bad or they're finding out that it's bad. But if they get out there, it's not a good deal. They're not going to stick around. So I think it's time that all of us acknowledge that the problem is us. It's not them. You know, all the schools across the country, we're recruiting the best and the brightest. 
and we're trying to encourage them to go into all the fields that are available in veterinary medicine. And they're going to stick and they're going to land in the ones that are appealing to them. So we really need to make our model more appealing and make it somewhere they want to go into and somewhere they want to stay. And I will say that sometimes what happens is we do have faculty members that say, hey, you may not want to go into equine practice because there's all this on call. You know, you're going to work many more days of the week and salaries are really low. And that's actually the truth. The salaries are really low and they are going to work a lot more on call. And you are going to work under more adverse conditions sometimes than you do in small animal practice or some other areas. The flip side is sometimes that we have practitioners and our students will go out and do externships. So I know talking to students at Ohio State, they go out and do an externship and they ride along with somebody and that person is complaining about their job the whole time. You know, the clients don't pay me. The weather's really bad. I don't like my job anymore, you know. And so they're not making it sound very appealing. So a student comes back and says, well, that was kind of a miserable experience. The person wasn't very happy. And I'm looking at that thinking, is that where I'm going to be in 20 years if I go into this profession? So I think we have to sort of stop pointing fingers at one another. And all we can really control is our own behavior and our own things that we say. And I think it's time all of us acknowledge the problem is us. And we have to each work on us, on the things that we can manage. Take a look in the mirror. Yeah, that's really well said. And and that sort of uh, segues into the next question, Rob. And as a practitioner, maybe you can have some insights onto that. What can the AAP do to promote the benefits of equine practice? And since, to Emma's point, we seem to always focus on the negatives and we don't spend enough time celebrating what a wonderful career it can be. I know we did a series of podcasts last year, ended up being I think three or four, you know, because I sort of put the word out, who wants to talk about how great the profession is? And it was like, all these hands went up there and all across literally the globe. And we had five people on a session and it was, there was a lot, but that wasn't obviously enough. So Rob, what do you think the AP can do to help promote the benefits of equine practice? The squeaky wheel gets the grease. The bad news takes the, the headline. That's a big part of the problem that we're playing against because what the AP can do, you know, just from an association is, is try to create a narrative. And I think that the staff does that. You know, we're always trying to put so much out to our membership, you know, things that are timely and important, things that are educational, things that help people professionally and personally. I mean, we're always trying to put stuff out there. But one of the things that we also do is highlight practitioners and practices. They're having wins personally, professionally, charitably, you know, whatever. So shining the light on those those case studies, those where things are going right and really, really giving them a lot of airtime. Again, with the news, I mean, the, the heartwarming stories that you hear on, on the Sunday, you know, afternoon news, you know, those don't make it Monday to Friday in the news. And that's, you know, honestly what we're playing against. I think that a big part of what we're going to see come out with this internship uh, revamp and and a lot of the retention efforts that we're doing is is trying to manage people's expectations and put people into uh, try to create a right fit for people. I think forever we've thought equine practice is equine practice, and you're either going in equine practice, and that means you're just going in there, or you're not. And 
to enter equine practice, I think, uh, and to make it a successful profession, professional choice, I think you've got to make sure that your next actions, if I'm a, a vet student who's graduating, or maybe I'm looking at an externship, or maybe I'm a, a, a recent graduate who's looking for my next associate position that I'm sure hoping that's my next and last job, is to actually know what that person wants out of life, out of the profession, uh, what disciplines or breeds or sports, you know, provide a lot of joy to that practitioner. What we end up doing is, you know, we're in this habit of, of just going and taking the job or what someone else told us we need to do or, you know, whatever. And we do that. We're not really engaging in our own dreams and trying to create our own plan. And a lot of times when you do that, it's like your friends say, yeah, you got to go on vacation here and you go there and you're like, that was terrible. Well, that was great for them, but that wasn't, mm-hmm. I didn't sit down and have a discussion with my family, like what our goals are on vacation and try to create a vacation that, that works for those goals. So I think that that will be the, the storyline that changes uh, out of a lot of the work that we're doing is that we're going to make it a lot more clear about what is in store for that, that position, that externship, that internship, that associate position. You know, what are the expectations on both sides so we can manage those expectations and try to get people into equine jobs that they, they obviously showed an interest in being a horse doctor. And they probably, like me, went to vet school with that one goal. And for us to be able to make sure that they land, their next step is one that helps them further in the profession and not one that begins to taint their idea of the profession. That's what the AEP can do. And, and I think it's, as David said, it's complex and it's going to require a lot of manpower. But I know that as the leadership of the association, we are putting all hands on deck. I know that David's office is putting all the financial resources that we, that we do. They're very good stewards of the money that, that we have, but they're putting them into this thing because this is affecting us all. From the students to the practice owners, everyone is caught in this crossfire. I just want to echo Emma's point. She she's brought this up at every board meeting and uh, officer meeting, and that is quit the finger pointing. You want to change the world, you know. Start with the person that's staring back at you and brushing your teeth in the morning, and that's the person that that can really you can do something about. But otherwise, we're just we're just saying it's their fault. It's it's his fault. It's her fault, and that doesn't help. Uh, it really doesn't. It's a tough problem, but I know we're going to get there, Mike. I know that the profession is is going to be in good hands. Excellent. David, I have a question for you. I'm sure you're going to want to handle this one. What more can the AAP do to advocate for veterinary care and procedures being provided by veterinarians and not laypersons? Can they advocate on our behalf with the appropriate medical boards? It's not an easy question. I'm sorry. I should have. <laughs> no, it's not an easy question. And we hear you. I mean, we hear you because it shows up on every membership survey, scope of practice issues. And they're, they're very challenging. One of the aspects of our strategic plan is focused on the horse, and a piece of that is devoted to scope of practice issues. And so we've got a subcommittee that's put resources together. We've tried this from a lot of different angles over the years. It really boils down to the fact that this is a, this is a state issue, and it's very difficult for the AAP to come in. You know, legislators in Montana and Delaware and Texas and wherever really don't care what the AAP thinks. What they care about is what their constituents think, the people that vote and put them in office. And so really it takes a boots on the ground approach to really affect change. 
uh, on a lot of these issues. And we work with the ABMA on some of this where we can too, particularly on dentistry issues. But what we can do is we can notify members in a particular state if there's impending legislation that affects them on scope of practice issues. We have a host of resources that we can provide, but it almost takes members showing up at those meetings and at those hearings at the, at the state capitol to really affect change. And many states have been successful at it. We work with the state VMAs uh, a lot uh, on those issues when, when they come up in the various states to make sure that we're in alignment uh, with the states. But it's, uh, it's not something that the AP can, of course, just wave a wand and fix. It's complex. You know, we've also tried and still continue to market in the horse and Equist and some of the horse owner publications on the value of using an equine veterinarian. And we've run a number of campaigns over the years about uh, using a veterinarian for your dentistry and vaccinations and different things like that to try to push that word out there. That's hard to measure the impact of what an advertisement has, uh, you know, on the minds of a horse owner. A lot of our uh, social media, we use our social media platforms a lot for that sort of thing as well. We're getting after it. It's just, it's just tough to do. I guess a follow-up question or sort of a parallel question. Somebody asked, what can the AAP do to make equine practitioners feel more included in the AVMA? And is there a way for the AAP to negotiate liability, ensure it's separate or, you know, from the AVMA PLIT? Who would like to tackle that one? You know, of course, the AP has representation with the AVMA on the House of Delegates. We're an allied organization. And so we have, uh, we have excellent representation uh, in those discussions at the ABMA level. We have many members that represent the association on various ABMA committees, clinical practitioners advisory committee, the council on education, the animal welfare committee, to name a few, antimicrobials. And so we have representatives on all of those ABMA committees. As far as the insurance issue, we've actually taken a look at this on at least two occasions over the last probably 10 years just to see if it was something that we could provide, a, a service that we could provide members that liability insurance. And the fact of the matter is the AVMA has 95,000 members. And so they have a bigger group, a bigger group purchasing uh, ability. And so the most people that we talk to are pretty happy with the AVMA insurance programs. And we have not been able to get a better offer. We, we're a much smaller group if we're just on our own than we are as part of a larger ABMA group. That makes sense. Rob, I have a question for you, and that is student debt. What assistance, what, what is the AEP doing uh, behind the scenes to help with the student debt crisis? Yeah, and debt's a, a big deal for me, Mike. I'm, I'm a big uh, Dave Ramsey fan, and I, I really believe that Getting out of debt is one of the things that allows you to have the freedom to um, choose the, you know, your career path, the way you want to live life, where you want to live it, and how you want to live it. And so, you know, that that potentially is something that's really hurting equine practitioners. I do like the idea of getting out of debt. Um, here, here's something that was a little disheartening was just seeing a study come out of um, the British Equine Veterinary Association where uh, those, those students don't graduate with student debt, and yet they're losing practitioners at the same rate we are. You know, unfortunately, that sort of takes that big bullseye off of student debt as being, you know, the linchpin at, at why we are losing or failing to retain uh, practitioners. 
Um, is it important? Absolutely. I think it, you know, regardless, if you're going to stay in equine practice, or you're going to choose another profession altogether. You know, I, I truly believe people will live a, a more rich life by being debt free. So it is important. So what has the AAP done? The AAP with the wellness committee a couple of years ago, we, we hosted Dr. Tony Bartels from the Vent Foundation, who's probably the foremost speaker on managing student debt. Tony keeps his finger on the pulse. He knows, you know, all the latest programs. He knows how to um, how to advise people on on finding coaches or um, manage their debt. So uh, he he gave a a long session uh, a few years ago, and we continue to stay engaged with Tony to help disseminate the information that he's mined for us. I really think that you know in those first few years that the income based debt repayment program is the thing that that the government has done because we're not insulated. I mean. They, there's many professions that are that are suffering from the rising cost of uh, education, and where it just takes a few years before you can start to get enough income to be able to manage that debt. So that income-based repayment plan is the the saving grace. I don't think that we have the stroke to change the legislation, as Dave said. Nine thousand members doesn't really shake the Washington D.C. a lot, but whenever we can align ourselves with the ABMA and ninety-five thousand members there, we we can let our our plight be known, uh, and and we can get some advocacy going that way. But I don't see anything just point blank legislation change. I don't see anything um, coming. I I think that we we do need to help educate people on trying to minimize or eliminate their debt. We need to continue to educate people on how to manage their debt. You know, this one thing is, is getting the people into saying, don't, don't take that burden on that burden that will close doors and opportunities that may be dreams of yours. And they won't be uh, opportunities whenever you're saddled with that kind of debt and, and just managing people's expectations. Once again, you know, people are enamored with the horse and being a horse doctor. And, and sometimes they'll go to an, um, an international school to, to get an education come back with a half million dollars worth of combined undergraduate and graduate school debt and then want to be a horse horse doctor. You know, unfortunately those expectations, you know, we have to talk to people. That that is going to be very, very difficult for people to manage that debt when that degree of debt. So I think people have to to make a plan and know what salaries are going to be and and make sure that that the debt load that they're taking doesn't uh, put them out of a position that's been a dream for them for their entire lives. All right, thanks. Emma, I have the last question for you. As we've talked a lot of initiatives for 2022 and uh, just for what we discussed, the plate's full. But have we missed anything? Is there anything else the members should know that the AAP is working on presently for the members? Yeah, one thing I would say is that uh, David was talking about establishing a task force for internships. And actually, we've established a couple of task forces. <laughs> One of the other things that we're taking a look at is, is getting practitioners together to work on the retention issue. One, to raise awareness. So to make them informed and, and show them the findings from the retention task force from last year. So somebody else, I think it was Rob, already mentioned that uh, that task force spent a lot of time sort of interviewing over 50 different individuals and finding out what all the pain points were and what they thought the solutions might be. That information has now sort of been cataloged and recorded, and that's something that we can share with this practitioner group. 
And then what we really want to do is get that group together and say, okay, a couple things. What is it that AEP can really do to support this effort and support all these practitioners? And what is it that practitioners can do to help themselves? So what changes can we make to the practice model? What things might work? What ideas can we share? And so the idea is creating this other task force to develop some kind of summit. And we had our first meeting about that yesterday and started talking about, are we going to have a summit? Are we going to get practitioners together? Is it one summit? Is it a number of them? We're going to have a summit and then do some regional sort of efforts to try and multiply that. And ultimately, I think the solution for this issue is going to come from all the equine practitioners, from the practice itself. It's not going to come from within AEP. We're not going to find the magic bullet and push that out. But AEP has a role to play in this and bringing people together, like we always have, bring people together for CE, for volunteering, for all the other things we do. And so our role is being sort of the grease in the system, bring everybody together get them organized, and then have them do that sharing. So AEP has started focusing on that, not just the internship issue, but the practice issue. And then one of the other things that we've been talking about is how do we involve the owners? Ultimately, all horse owners, maybe we don't understand the challenges. We're pretty good as equine practitioners, I think, sometimes of hiding those challenges. We don't really discuss the debt load we carry, you know, the the weight that sometimes the on-call issues and things like that have on our family. And so is there a role there that AEP may play in providing some education or some feedback or some, you know, messaging somehow to horse owners and, and loop them in where they start to understand the challenges. These people that come out and treat your horses and do all the really good things for you, they don't have necessarily the easiest life doing that but they choose to do it for a reason. And we feel passionately in the AEP leadership that maybe part of our role in AEP is that we have to elevate that message and help the client understand where their practitioners are coming from. Wow. Just listening to the three of you talk about the initiatives and what's going on there, I'm, I'm all excited for the year and really excited for what the organization is doing. So Emma, Rob, and David, thank you very much for spending some time with us. And sharing with some of the great things that the AEP is doing. Our pleasure. Thanks, Mike. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. Beringer Ingelheim's equine health solutions don't just come in the form of medicine. From our vaccine and EGUS assurance programs to our equine practice enrichment program, we offer a wide range of services dedicated to helping individual veterinarians and entire practices succeed in their business environment. To learn more about all the services we offer, contact one of our expert team members by visiting bi-vetmedica.com slash company slash contact.